Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm joined today by Bradley Pierce, who is Vice President and General Counsel of Heritage Defense. What is Heritage Defense, you may ask? Well, it is an opportunity for you to have help in protecting your family from people who either mean well but uh, could do harm or those who don't mean well and still want to do harm. But in either case, there are a lot of threats to parental rights today. And my family has been a member of Heritage Defense for a number of years. And the best way that I can kind of explain to you what this is, a point of reference for my homeschool friends, is Homeschool Legal Defense Association is an organization we've been familiar with for a long time. My wife and I are lifetime members of HSLDA. We love what they do. We appreciate them very much. And they provide membership that offers legal protection for families who may be charged with a false charge of truancy or educational neglect. There are just a lot of people out there that don't understand homeschooling laws, and sometimes uh, somebody can make a phone call uh, or a school can get involved with bad information and can give homeschoolers a hard time. And HSLDA protects families who find themselves in that scenario. But there are a lot of issues that fall outside of truancy and educational neglect, more broader parental rights issues. And for those issues, there's Heritage Defense, and their website is heritagedefense.org. And Bradley, I'm really excited to have you uh, on the podcast today. Uh, First of all, just welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for the privilege of being on here. So Bradley's background is that he's a homeschool graduate. He's also a homeschooling father. So he understands those of us that come from that world, but there is a whole spectrum of parental rights issues that are outside of the educational issues, and Heritage Defense is formed to represent some of those issues. And so, Bradley, what are some of the varying types of scenarios or situations where a parent may find themselves being visited perhaps by a child protective service worker or agency uh, or getting in, in trouble in some way through an anonymous tip phone call uh, or, or some case where they could be brought into court or could, or could need legal representation. What are some of the cases that you've dealt with, just some of the scenarios that you've seen uh, with people who have contacted you as members of Heritage Defense? Sure. Yeah. Well, as far as categories are concerned, we have, uh, you know, families can face issues due to uh, medical decisions for their children. Uh, Maybe you have a disagreement with a doctor or with a hospital, or maybe you have a child that has an accident, have a a certain kind of fracture, that sort of thing. And then those things turn into reports of child protective services. Maybe you have a baby who is, you know, not uh, underweight by, you know, by, being on their curve and that can turn into a report. Uh, maybe you have a, you know, a neighbor who's retaliating against you for something. Uh, maybe there, someone disagrees with the, your discipline of your children. 
Um, maybe someone doesn't agree with, you know, your vaccination choices, whether to do some, all or none of, of the recommended vaccines. Uh, maybe you have a two or three year old, you know, that gets out of the house um, without you noticing for a few minutes. And, you know, within just two or three minutes, someone drives by and sees them and calls the police and they call Child Protective Services. Those are just a few of the many different issues that we deal with all the time and that can definitely end up with a social worker knocking on your door. One of the saddest that I've observed, but I think maybe one of the more frequent, sometimes are vindictive relatives. People who just don't share your faith, they don't share your values, um, people who are mentally unstable. There are many cases where someone to retaliate against a family member will make some sort of anonymous tip, phone call, something like that. Those are horrible scenarios, but Absolutely. it happens. Or sometimes Absolutely. a neighbor, like yeah. you said, just yeah. uh, there are times where neighbors become vindictive over certain issues. Maybe you trim the hedges too too tight, or <laughs> you right. park your car, you know, on the road, and they they feel like it's too close to their spot or whatever. But sometimes there can be tensions there with neighbors, and so. How does membership with Heritage Defense work? Um, is that something where people, I mean, of course, I know this become a member, but uh, is that something where um, people, is everyone eligible? Is this limited to a particular type of, of profile? Who, who, who is eligible and what is the process for becoming a member? Yeah, so right now it's limited to um, Christian homeschooling families. So Christian homeschool families join and become a member. And then if you ever have a situation where your parental rights, you know, do come under, uh, come under attack by child protective services, you have a social worker at your door, then we're available 24 seven. You can be immediately connected with an attorney as a member, or a lot of times we just have members that just have questions about their parental rights. You know, what, what are the laws in my state about this issue or that issue or working with my children and, and they'll call us and set up a time to talk to an attorney um, you know, to get answers to those questions or, you know, sometimes I'll just call and set up a time to talk to an attorney to say, Hey, I've got the situation. There's not yet, there's not a social worker at my door and hopefully there won't be, but it's still a very sticky situation that I'm trying to navigate. Can you help advise me through this? We get those kind of calls. We do those kind of calls day in and day out. Um, just helping families navigate those kind of situations and, and prevent those from you know, becoming challenges to their parental rights. And all of those things are included with the membership, whether it be 24-7 access to the attorneys or whether it be, you know, uh, calling, setting up an appointment with one. And if you ever do have a case, you know, whether it be at the door or whether you had to go to court or meetings or whatever needs to happen, um, all of that is included as part of the membership. So all the legal fees that go along with all that, that's all included in the membership. You know, I've been pretty blessed uh, so far um, in the last number of years that uh, we haven't needed to have a case where we were in court or anything like that. But I'll just share a situation came up with us recently as a family. Um, our daughter has Lyme disease. I posted that on Facebook, and it's pretty public that um, we're going through that with her. And uh, I was surprised when we got a diagnosis of Lyme disease and we... Uh, had worked with the hospital to get a prescription for antibiotic for her as a treatment. We got a call from our county health department, and the health department was calling to follow up to make sure that our child was taking antibiotic for Lyme disease. 
And in the back of my mind, now that was a, a treatment that we chose and we felt that that was the appropriate treatment for her. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, I have some friends who are maybe a little bit more crunchy than I am. And uh, in fact, I had a conversation with one of those uh, just this last week. And uh, there are friends that I know who um, would have an aversion to antibiotic uh, for some reason and um, may take more of an herbal approach or something like that. And so just out of curiosity, I called a another, a different uh, friend of mine in their state who works at a county health department. And I said, hey, I'm just curious, um, you know, if, if a health, if your county health department were to contact someone about Lyme disease and found out that the family was not treating their child with antibiotic, what would be the process of the procedure? What happens in that situation? And this friend said, well, we would call Child Protective Services because that would be medical neglect. Uh, we would consider that to be improper medical treatment of a child with a, a serious infectious disease. And so in my case, it wasn't a scenario where uh, I was choosing an alternative medical route. Um, and so I didn't actually need Heritage Defense's uh, legal services in terms of a court case. But I did make a phone call and, and talked to uh, Heritage Defense because I wanted to get legal counsel just on understanding the scenario. Is this common? Is this something that happens frequently? What, what's the scenario? And so there are lots of things like that where um, it's just good to know that we have some legal protection if there were a scenario that uh, somebody were to, to get involved that we would have representation and have representation by someone who uh, respects our values and our faith and so I, I strongly uh, encourage you to consider uh, becoming a member of Heritage Defense if you have not already done so. Um, and what's the annual price for Heritage Defense? Yeah, so it's for the first year, it's one ninety five. Or families, a lot of families like to budget it kind of more subscription month to month, and so it's nineteen dollars a month. And then whenever you renew for subsequent years, it actually goes down from there. Mm -hmm. And and is that uh, the same price for your family, regardless of family size, regardless of the number of children in the family? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, what if you have an ADHD boy who jumps out of trees? Does that make your membership go up? Or no, it does not. Uh, we and we do, we certainly have plenty of those sort of things. We have, <laughs> we've had members who I, I'm thinking of one in particular that had a family that had a, a child that was on the second story window leaning against the screen, and the window was open and the screen gave way and he fell out of the window and oh my and uh, had a broken broken arm, I believe. And that ended uh -huh. up becoming a CPS case, but yeah, uh -huh. yeah but we, that's all included with the membership and it's the same price for everybody. There are just so many times as a parent where you're doing your best, but you could be making dinner and that child is just out of your view for just a minute or two. And it is amazing what a child can get into in such a short period of time. I know multiple friends uh, who have had uh, toddlers or, you know, young two, three-year-olds who just find a way to get that screen door open and run outside. And literally, like you say, within a couple of minutes, somebody's made a phone call. And, and I understand that. I get that, right? Because sure. nobody wants to see a child harmed uh, and everyone wants children to be protected. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that a child, that a parent is a bad parent. <coughs> 
if their, you know, child gets left at church or if, you know, their child somehow, you know, breaks away from the family and in an airport or whatever the case may be, uh, or falls out of a tree and breaks an arm. It it doesn't mean that 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 parent is a bad parent. Stuff happens. And I think a previous generation, um, there was more of an understanding of that. Um, you know, I think you're a little bit younger than I am, Bradley, but you know, when we were growing up, um, you know, I remember the first car that we had, it was an older car, but the first car that my parents had didn't even have seatbelts. And, you know, when, when I was a kid, nobody that I knew wore helmets and knee pads and elbow right. pads right. and all that when we were growing up, you know, around the neighborhood. And it's just a different era now. Um, there's there's a heightened safety consciousness, and and I get that, and I think there's some value to some of that. But but again, um, stuff is going to happen. So, um, what are some of the recent scenarios that you've seen? Uh, some cases that come to your mind of just an incident that somebody has needed to call Heritage Defense that might give somebody a bit of a a range of just scenarios that they might be able to relate to things that have happened. Yeah. I mean, one that I'm thinking of here recently actually was right in line with something you were just discussing about, you know, a child having something and then the County health department getting involved. We had a case here recently where a family um, was diagnosed with a whooping cough. And uh, that of course, that's an automatic report. The doctors are required to report that to the, state or local health department. And then the family gets a call and asks the same question that, that you were, you know, which is, you know, are, are y'all on antibiotics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can definitely turn into a case very quickly. You know, we, again, you talk about neighbors um, retaliating. I'm thinking of, we actually had two cases very identical here, not too long ago um, that there, you know, there was a, one of them, there was a neighbor that was living in a rent house by that was owned by a family member, and the family member wasn't repairing something. So to retaliate against some family member, they you know called CPS on, on our member family, and um, so you know things like that can happen. Our, our top three sources of reports, as far as reporters that we see, are the medical community is number one by far. And then the number, number two and three are kind of tied and they're, and they're really sad. And that is uh, extended family and then folks in your own church as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a family here several months ago that was reported by their church because, um, you know, the family, you know, was having some financial difficulties and that they shared that with someone in the church prayer group who ended up, I, I think, you know, I think well-meaning, they right. thought that, hey, I'll, I'll help them get some government services wow. by reporting them to Child Protective Services. Wow. And it ended up turning into a real nightmare for the family. I had another one recently that was a church issue where a child said something, you know, that was very, very innocent, but it was misunderstood and overblown and then turned into a CPS case. And the issue with these is, you know, not only are, you know, not only do you have the, just the trauma, right, of having a social worker show up at your door, um, but in almost every CPS case, um, 
you know, they're, they're, they do what they call global investigation, which means they're not just there to investigate what happened, which is what most criminal investigations would look like, but they do a global investigation, which is they, they, can't, they basically presume that you are a, an unfit parent until you prove otherwise. And so they'll ask you all kind of unrelated questions that don't have anything to do with the allegations or what may have happened. And they'll want to come in your home, whether your home has anything to do with the case or not. And they'll want to interview all of your children, again, whether they know anything about the actual allegations or not. And so that's one reason that we're here, you know, not just to keep children from being taken who shouldn't be, uh, from being removed who shouldn't be, but also just to keep these cases from getting out of bounds and from getting into things that are irrelevant and they're unnecessarily intrusive and traumatic for families. Um, so those are, that's just a, a few cases that we've dealt with here recently. Yeah. I, I refer people to heritage defense all the time. And one of my friends, I remember some time ago, great Christian couple, this wonderful godly parents. Um, they had a scenario where there was a, a relative that was, uh, not a Christian that was very spiteful, and I actually know that relative, and that relative is, has uh, threatened members of the family, just very unstable, and um, kind of had different ways of threatening all the members of the family, extended family, and on um, intimidation and lots of things, but ended up on this one couple just calling an anonymous tip child abuse charge on that family for no reason other than spite of the entire family. You know, it's like everybody, right. you know, probably 15 different people got some kind of threat, but that was the retaliation against this particular couple. And it was, um, it was traumatic because once CPS is engaged, you know, they have to do an investigation. They have to follow up on it and they basically have to, uh, leave it open until it's closed. And so there's just this sense of, you know, because that can be months sometimes in that process um, of wondering, are they going to come back um, at any time? Are they going to take our children away? Because um, they do an initial visit, but then sometimes they come back and it's just one of the most unsettling things that a family would ever go through. I'd like to ask you just as a some guidelines. I know the scenario varies broadly depending on exactly what the charges are or based on the scenario, whether it's a, a medical issue or uh, a child abuse issue or a discipline issue or whatever it is. But just in general, if a, if a child protective service worker knocks on the door and says that they have a tip or they have reason to believe that a child is being abused or neglected in some way, uh, or they've heard that the house is unsanitary and it's not fit for children to live there or, or whatever the case is. What, what are some guidelines of what a parent's supposed to do in those moments? Do they cooperate as much as possible? Do they open the door and invite them in? Do they allow the children to be interviewed by the child protective service worker uh, do they slam the door in their face and say, I have constitutional rights? <laughs> what are some guidelines right. for how they should behave at the door if someone were to knock unexpectedly? Yeah, well, I think it's important to remember that it is a government agency who is investigating you um, for, for allegations of wrongdoing. And I think most people know, um, you know, be very careful about speaking to the police without an attorney 
but we don't often think the same thing necessarily with child protective services <clears throat> but in some ways it's even more important in that scenario because in some ways the threat of your children being removed is you know i think most of us would consider that even more scary than um than even being put in jail a lot of times um so i think it's very important that you um if at all possible you know don't answer any questions you know be be nice you know there's no sense there's no sense to be um <clears throat> to be ugly about it they're just doing their job um and so it's not there's no there's no cause of being unreasonable be you know be kind to them but um you know a lot of times what folks can do if if you don't you know obviously if you're not a member of heritage defense <clears throat> if you're a member of heritage defense we tell people just say you know excuse me one moment let me get my attorney on the phone and then you can call us 24 7 and be connected with an attorney but if that if a family's not in that situation then then kind of getting them off of your doorstep and then getting an attorney as quickly as possible is normally the best thing to do without getting into, you know, what happened and answering questions or anything like that. Um, sometimes you may need to let them just lay eyes on your children just so they can check that box. Um, and that's, that's pretty low intrusion, but, um, but as quickly as possible after that, you know, getting an attorney before actually addressing or answering the allegations is very very important a lot of times they won't even tell you what the allegations are uh, when they're on your doorstep as well so mm -hmm. i know that sounds i know that's a lawyer answer but yeah. um but i, I think well, still i've, I've known right scenarios answer. where people have just opened the door thinking i want to cooperate as best as possible invited them in allowed them to interview the children privately and so forth and in some situations there have been cases i know of where the child protective workers uh, say that the child said something, the parents say, my child would never say that. Right. And um, so so allowing them to come into your home puts their word against yours in court. And nine times out of 10, a judge is going to listen to a state worker uh, over you saying, my child would have never said that, you know? And so having, um, even having a cell phone out to record the situation. Uh, and in some states, I know you have to say, I am audio and video recording you so that there is uh, admissible evidence if for some reason you need it, uh, you have to, to alert or tell the person what you're doing. Um, but there are, are scenarios where I know of court cases where a child protective service worker has said that something happened uh, in this visit and it's been captured on, on camera and the child protective service worker was misrepresenting the situation. So that can be a great defense for a family as well. Um, Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I've, I, I've been in, I've been in court before with transcripts, you know, of, uh, of, of child protective services workers, you know, conversations I've had with them and where they said they, they're in court saying one thing. And I say, well, actually I have a transcript of our conversation and, and their tune changes very quickly. So yeah. Right. They, things can definitely be um, misconstrued That's right. or worse. That's right. Well, I, I think we should run a disclaimer here uh, and let people know that uh, for myself personally and for Heritage Defense, um, we are totally against child abuse. Um, so don't misunderstand Absolutely. the intent of Heritage Defense. Absolutely. Child abuse is immoral. It's a sin. It is illegal for a good reason. <clears throat> and people who abuse their children need to be prosecuted. Right. And so there is no uh, intent on the part of Heritage Defense to 
um, to enable child abusers to be able to abuse their children uh, without repercussions. Right. But there are lots of families, and, and people may not understand this, and if you don't um, know these families or you don't study this, uh, you, may, you may not know how frequently it happens, but there are thousands and thousands of families every year who are falsely accused, sometimes through a misunderstanding, some through, through a malicious person. Um, there are just reasons that families end up being accused of some kind of neglect or abuse, and it's just not true. And so it's for yeah. those families that Heritage Defense exists. Exactly. And let me just address that real fast. Yeah, our, our membership terms and conditions, you know, we, we expressly say in there, if there's any, if we determine there's actual child abuse occurring, you know, we will not represent families. We expressly say we condemn and will not defend child abuse. That's not what we're about. But what a lot of people aren't aware of is that most child protective services investigations are unfounded, right? Most of the families that they're investigating, there aren't any children that have been harmed. By their own statistics, um, over 80% of the families that they investigate, you know, no child is determined to be a victim, meaning that there, there has not been any abuse or neglect that has occurred in those cases. Um, and there's another st- recent study said 37% of children will have a CPS investigation by the time they turn 18 years old. And of course, you know, 37% of children are not being abused and neglected. Um, and again, like I said, 80% of those are CPS themselves are is determining that they're not. So most of the cases the CPS is investigating are unfounded and, and children are not being abused. And those are the cases that we're involved with, right? Where we're defending innocent parents <clears throat> or parents who maybe made, like you said earlier, maybe they made a mistake, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, they should have their children taken away or something like that. Um, and, and we're there to, we're, we're not there to defend child abusers. We're there to demonstrate that this family is, uh, you know, that this family, this is a good family and that, that they're not child abusers and, to, and, to, and really to protect children because in all those cases that I thought about 80%, you know, CPS cases that are unfounded, you know, we, we say a hundred percent of those cases are, are traumatic for the family. And so we're there to keep we're there to protect children and to keep them from being traumatized when there really isn't any, um, you know, any, you know, the, the, the allegations are not substantiated. Um, so we're there to keep the children from being traumatized and, from the, and keep bad things from happening to them. It's interesting that there's a summit that's coming up hosted by Harvard University, and there are people in academia. Uh, professors and researchers who are claiming that homeschooling is um, sort of creates a scenario where abuse and neglect of children can take place. And so they're looking to outlaw homeschooling and at least severely regulate it. Uh, Homeschool Legal Defense, of of course, covers those kinds of very direct assaults on homeschooling. But, But in this summit, if you read the writings of the people that are proposing, you know, this uh, regulation of homeschooling, they're painting a profile of a family um, that that they believe are abusive just because these people want to teach their children their own values. Um, they don't send them to public school. They don't 
believe in evolution. They don't, they don't uh, allow their children to socialize with just anyone. And so the, these people are deemed dangerous. And these are the people that Heritage Defense is seeking to represent. And you know, I think it's interesting that there's this move to uh, regulate homeschoolers in a specific way. In fact, in Michigan, I'm, I'm on the uh, board of our Michigan State Homeschool Association. A few years back, we had a, a Democratic legislator in the Detroit area that wanted to have mandatory child protective service visit home visits for all homeschoolers, not for the public schoolers, but just for the homeschoolers, as though homeschoolers as a people group are particularly susceptible to abusing their children and public schoolers are not. The irony of that is that same year, um, the city of Chicago, oh no, it wasn't that same year, but but just shortly after that, the city of Chicago was, uh, there was a big story in Chicago Tribune that the Chicago public school system had over a thousand cases in one year in one city of children who had been reported to CPS for uh, investigation for alleged sexual abuse. Um, A thousand cases in one year in one city. And the scandal was that CPS didn't follow up on a good many of those, I don't remember the percentage, but a good many of those cases, they never even followed up on the reports. And so when they were investigated and when they were asked why did you not follow up on these reports of child abuse they said we couldn't because we lack the manpower and we lack the resources so here are cases where uh, and, and let me let me be clear these these children who were being reported for sexual abuse these were all cases of of alleged sexual abuse that happened on campus not at home but either from other students or from teacher or other faculty uh, that worked for the school. These were a thousand students in one city in one year who were reported as sexually abused um, on the school campus during school hours. And so CPS could not investigate all of those cases because they said they didn't have enough resources, they didn't have enough manpower. So the argument that we made here in the state of Michigan was how, how wise is it to redirect child protective service workers away from known reported cases of sexual abuse to go on a witch hunt of a profile of a homeschooling family just because some progressive leftist socialist professor somewhere or or legislator believes that they represent the biggest threat to children uh, as though the public school system in itself is safe and the home is not safe. It's an endemic mistrust of parents. This is where I'm going with this, Bradley. Bradley's like, I have no idea where you're going with this. <laughs> where I'm going with this is there is an increasingly endemic distrust of parents, that parents are a threat to their children. Right. Do you, are you seeing this, Bradley, just in the news media, in you know, higher education, even in the political world among certain politicians, just this view that children are at risk because their parents can't be trusted. And we know there are some parents who abuse. My view is we already have laws in place for that. Lock them up, right. you know, right. deal, with the, deal with the abusers. But do you see that kind of thing? And, and uh, what are your thoughts on that? Just this it seems to yeah. be dynamic distrust of parents that they're a danger and that we need 
the the government to protect children from their own parents. Yeah, I think we see this in our society in a lot of different areas. I think there's a <clears throat> a general view that parents are are too dumb or to whatever to take care of their own children that we need the experts to to do it for us or to tell us how to do it whether that be with medical issues whether that be you know you're you know with education issues the parents are not equipped to you know make educational decisions for their children or to teach their children or to make medical decisions for their children i think there there certainly is a view and then it's certainly being pushed in in the media you know there's ads that probably many people saw several years ago of a uh, a news host saying, you know, children belong to the community; they don't belong to parents. Um, and and now, of course, this Harvard thing saying that, um, you know, the idea that parents, you know, um, you know, that they should direct their children's upbringing is is wrong, and that there should be a presumptive ban on homeschooling until you prove that you are capable of raising your own children or, or educating your own children. There's certainly a growing um, that's, that's certainly a growing sentiment, at least in the media and in the government. You know, I don't know how much that, you know, that's common in society, but it's a lot of times it seems like we're kind of handing those things over to the government to decide. I can see the, the trickle down from that being that there should be a presumptive ban on parenting until you prove that you're fit to be a parent. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It seems like it's a logical progression, isn't it? Well, and there's even, I mean, there's some cases like that when it comes to CPS issues where there, if there are parents, you know, that may have, um, you know, lower IQ, for example, sometimes they can have their children taken away just for that reason. Mm -hmm. And, and then they have to prove their ability to care for their children, even though there's no, there, there was never any accusation that children were at any risk, but simply for that reason alone, they have children removed and then they had to prove that they're able before they can get them returned. That's amazing. Well, I'm going to throw one more question at you and uh, before we wrap up here. But the vaccination issue is one that's very polarizing. I would say my observation of it from watching the discussions on social media, uh, I'm an admin for several different Facebook groups. And so the discussion sometimes comes up and man, it seems to me like it splits the Christian community right down the middle. And there are, of course, the pro-vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. And I, I would hope the one thing that uh, most people um, could agree on is that uh, there needs to be some level of choice in this. I know not everybody does agree with that. And it's part of the part of the issue with the mandatory vaccination issue. But just what are your thoughts on the whole vaccine scene um, as it relates to parental rights and uh, I know you have a workshop that you've done on that at uh, some conferences. I've not had a chance to hear that workshop yet. I need to need to hunt that down and listen to it. What are some of your thoughts on on the vaccine issue and how it relates to parental rights? Yeah, I mean, certainly as an organization, we support vaccine freedom. That is, we believe that it's a parent's right to make that decision for their children. You know, there obviously there are, you know, you could say that when it comes to medical issues that there is a point at which a parent could make a, a, a decision on a medical issue that could recklessly put their child's life in danger and actually commit a crime against their children. And certainly we don't, we don't support that. But when it comes to the issues of vaccines, we're really talking about an issue that where reasonable minds can disagree where reasonable minds do disagree. There are experts and there are people on all sides of this issue and so it's, it's, this is certainly not something where parents are being reckless or are putting their children at unreasonable risk. 
And so for an issue like that, you know, that, uh, there should be no question in my mind, uh, I think, or in any of our minds, that that is an issue that, um, you know, that well, I think that the, the common phrase is parents call the shots, right? When, when there's an issue like that, it's parents um, who, who decide what's in the best interest of their children. Children don't belong to the government or the community or the hospitals or the doctors. They are, you know, parents have been appointed by God as the primary stewards of their children. And on issues like that, then parents are the ones that have to make that call. And so we absolutely at Heritage Defense support their right to do that. And that issue does come up in a lot of the cases that we deal with. You know, thankfully, we haven't seen, um, you know, vaccination be, we maybe had a couple of cases where that has been the primary allegation. Um, so there hasn't been a whole lot of those, but in almost every case we deal with, it is, it is something that is asked about. Um, and if, if they don't, if CPS does not like the answer, then that is something that they do use against parents. Um, and they'll include it in court documents and let the court know, let the judge know, by the way, this family doesn't vaccinate, even if it has nothing whatsoever to do with the allegations in the case. Um, so it, it certainly does. It's an important issue. It comes up on our radar. And I think with everything going on right now, it's just going to grow in importance. And um, but we absolutely stand behind parents' freedom to make that decision themselves for their children. The, the people that I know who have concerns or opposition to uh, vaccinations or at least mandatory vaccinations, or they want to be selective about the vaccinations, include sometimes religious conviction, which is an interesting right. legal category where per- perhaps they have a religious conviction against certain vaccinations because of aborted stem cell lines that were used to create those vaccinations. Right. Um, there's also the, um, the medical doctors who say that there is a link between some of these vaccinations and autism. Now, I'm not saying that vaccinations cause autism, but there are medical doctors who believe that it does. And there are medical doctors who believe it does not. But I think what we see is parents who feel that it's not um, that I, I'm wanting to avoid a risk on one side. They, they feel like there are risks on both sides. There's a risk of not being vaccinated and there's a risk of being vaccinated. And so from their perspective, their view is, they're having to choose between two risks for the ones that, that are maybe looking at it for more of a philosophical objection. Um, and they want to choose the, the risk that concerns them the least. And so um, th- those are difficult issues for parents to make, honestly. I think a lot of parents struggle with the, the decision. Uh, am I making the right decision for my child? Um, and yet, you know, I think as our culture increasingly tries to take all uh, all choice away from parents. Um, there are a lot of parents who, and we've seen this in, in certain legislatures, you know, California just was that last year, the year before, um, where they had a host people showed up from a lot of different walks of life at the state capitol there in Sacramento to voice opposition to mandatory vaccination. There are a lot of people who. Um, have opposition to that. And so, but where do they turn from a legal standpoint if it becomes personal? 
Uh, that's where Heritage Defense comes in. So, um, Bradley, one more time, why don't you give people your contact information so that they can become members? Again, I personally heartily endorse Heritage Defense as an organization. Uh, we've been members, I think, from the very beginning. I, I think uh, pretty pretty quickly after you guys started, we we signed up as members and have had several friends that have actually really needed heritage defense. So it's not like, Oh, this is pie in the sky. Nobody ever uses this. Like I know I can list several friends that I know personally who have had to use heritage defense uh, to protect their family. So give your contact information, let people know again, how they can become members. Sure. Yeah. The easiest way or the best ways for folks can go onto our website at heritagedefense.org. And we have a lot more information there and there's our application to join there. There's also a number of news articles that they can read, but they can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter and um, yeah, lots of ways that they can get a hold of us. We have a live, we have a chat feature there. If they have any questions, they can communicate with us and uh, yeah. Excellent. One more thing. I know you speak at conferences. Uh, I, I speak at a lot of the same homeschool conferences where you do. Um, but you're also available probably to speak for other types of events as well. Churches perhaps could have you in and talk about um, how to protect the families in their church. There's probably a lot of different places, different types of conferences that you would be available to speak. How could somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to have you come and speak for their organization? Yeah, they can get in touch with us through our website where there's a contact form there, and that's going to be the best way to fill that out and get in touch with me that way. I'm always open to that. I've I've talked with some churches, done some webinars with some churches, and um, yeah, happy to help. Absolutely. Well, Bradley Pierce, thank you for being our guest today. We will probably have you back on the podcast again, um, particularly if issues come up. I wanted to have an initial interview here where people get to know the organization a little bit and know who you are and what you do. But as there are particular issues that come up, that threaten parental rights. I will probably have you back on and we'll talk about those specific issues in the future. So hopefully we will uh, be able to meet up again at a conference uh, not not too far out in the future uh, and uh, appreciate what you do. God bless you, brother. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit FamilyRenewal.org.